0: Patriot is WWTC, Minneapolis, St. Paul, FM 107.5, K298CO, Minneapolis, powered by Advantage Home Buyer. With SRN News, I'm Ron derostra Good news on President Trump's health. Doctors say the president is in good spirits, doing well, very well, as a matter of fact, as he receives treatment for COVID-19. White House physician Dr. Sean Conley says the president is getting over a cough and nasal congestion, has been fever-free, and is not having difficulty breathing.
1: At this time, the team and I are extremely happy with the progress the president has made.
0: Doctors have begun a five-day treatment course of remdesivir and are monitoring Mr. Trump carefully for COVID complications as well as antivirals. Viral side effects. The president is expected to remain at Walter Reed Medical Center for several days. Greg Clugston reporting. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie testing positive for COVID-19. He says the last time he was with the president was Tuesday during preparations for his debate with former Vice President Joe Biden in Cleveland. Christie is the latest person who's been in close contact with the president recently to test positive for the virus.
2: This is SRN News. Bad decisions limit future options. Make enough bad decisions and you destroy your life. Listen to The Flatline with your host Rick Hughes every Sunday morning at 7.30 here on AM 1280 The Patriot. The Flatline describes a main line of resistance in your soul built on God's word. Join us every Sunday for 30 minutes of inspiration, motivation, education, all without manipulation.
0: The Flatline with Rick Hughes every Sunday morning at 7.30 here on AM 1280 The
2: Patriot. Hour 2 of your Northern Alliance Radio Network headliner, Mitch Berg, is coming up next right here on AM1280, The Patriot, Intelligent Radio. One Nation Under God is a movie that explores our First Amendment rights and the courage needed to stand up for our convictions. Kevin Sorbo and Antonio Sabato Jr. star in this powerful, family-friendly film about a student who boldly stands up for God when a presidential candidate visits his school. Visit SalemNOW.com to purchase your copy today at 50%
3: off. Use promo code MINNEAPOLIS to save an additional 20%. Here's a look at your weather for the day.
2: High of 52 tonight. Mostly cloudy, low of 36.
0: This is the Northern Alliance Radio Network, the longest-running conservative talk show in the Twin Cities. It's great to be
3: back in Minnesota
0: today. Political analysis of the good, the bad, and the outright crazy. Now, here's your headline act, Mitch Bird. AM
4: 1280,
3: The Patriot. The Northern Alliance Radio Network. 651-289-4488, 651-289-4488, the number to call, should you care to join me. and I'd, I'd absolutely love to have you do exactly that. Uh, taking questions, comments all the time, Also, both by phone and on Twitter at hashtag NarnShow. That's N-A-R-N Show. Driving down here today, I drove past the, uh, the the park that where I raised my kids over the last couple of decades here, Hamlin Park down on Snelling and uh, Thomas Avenue in St. Paul. Uh, place I spent a lot of time over the years. It had a new feature, a bunch of tents. A little homeless camp seems to have sprung up there as seems to be happening in, in parks all over the, the, the city. And it reminded me of something that I recall from decades ago moving to the Twin Cities. Back in the mid 1980s, the, uh, the city of Minneapolis had a slogan. It called itself for a brief while there, the Minneapolis, because it's Minnesota, uh, inferiority complex bade it to compare itself to a larger, bigger, more cosmos City. In that case, Minneapolis uh, compared itself to New York City. Lately, I think its uh, eyes have been turned west, as we shall do the same uh, with my next guest, Amy Alcon, who joins us from Los Angeles. And I bring this up because, uh, first of all, Amy, uh, welcome back to the show, Amy, who uh, normally is here with books, with titles that are worth reading, but th- that drive radio people crazy, trying to get around the FCC violations. Uh, so, pleasure to have you back here. But I, I bring right. you on here because you have been chronicling, both on social media and in an article in Quillette magazine this past week, which I can say, on the radio without any any uh, gymnastics, <laughs> LA's failed homeless policies turned my home into a prison. Something that a lot of Minneapolis have been pointing out. And that and, and I I bring this up to people here in the Twin Cities because given the way that Minneapolis tries to ape cities on the West Coast now, not so much New York anymore, but now Seattle and Portland and San Francisco and Los Angeles in its own way, anything that you're seeing in Los Angeles is eventually going to turn itself up. Uh, on Hennepin Avenue, on Lake Street, somewhere in, in Minneapolis. Amy Alcon, uh, tell us a little bit about the situation. I've been following it for months now on Twitter. You're wrangling with the burgeoning homelessness problem in uh, Los Angeles, and it just doesn't get any better. Well, Let's walk us through the background, Amy Alcon.
5: Sure. And I should say, I'm a bleeding-heart libertarian, um, and so I've cared personally for a homeless man for a number of years. And by a cared for, I mean... Supported him, helped him find work, stored his stuff. I know he has a roof now, which is so fantastic, and he lives in Illinois in a motel. And so I just receive his mail. I'm his regular address for his VA mail because he's a vet and his Social Security mail. And so I'm not some heartless person. Um, I just wanted to start with that. We have a huge explosion of homelessness in Los Angeles, despite our having this progressive mayor who ran saying, I'm going to solve this. And so what happened here on my block is that um, we had um, a felon early released from prison by politicians who just moved onto my street in front of my house, violent felon. This guy has so many felonies. I looked at his rap sheet. The police told me who he was (laughs) because... For, you know, they gave me his name, and I looked, I'm like, how do you even find the time? The guy had won, a 60-year-old woman had filed a restraining order against him, and I, I suspect it was his mother, so he possibly beat up his mom. Oh. So this guy is in front of my house, vandalizing my gate. He and his girlfriend, they had a VW event. Now, they were not homeless. She informed me they were camping. They're camping. He had a shiny new Harley in front of my house. And what he would do to my neighbors and me, just to show us he was in charge, he'd turn on the motor of his unmuffled Harley, leave it running for 10 minutes. And when I went out there like the little weenie I am, I'm just a writer. I'm, you know, not a beefy buff weightlifter. I just lean over my luckily six-foot fence and say, look, could you please turn that off and be respectful, you know, of us with the noise. He went out. He fumed it so the fumes would come in my house. So, now we have actually really great, um, the the police here are great. They deal with the homeless a lot here in Pacific Division. I'm in Venice. And so they use laws and codes, like parking codes, not to arrest people, but to move them on. So you can't stay more than 72 hours in a place. There's one week street cleaning. You can't have vehicles over six feet on my street from two to six. Our mayor for COVID, he said, okay, we're not going to enforce any of that. No, this is understandable on some level. However, the police usually have discretionary ability to enforce things. So somebody at captain level can say, you know, we know the mayor said this. There's violence being done to all these neighbors. Oh, and they'd slam the door of the VW van at 3 a.m. repeatedly wake me up in bed. Um, they were angry because I would call the police when they were doing these, like, vandalizing and things like that. that you know, that that to them was a great offense. So... Um, the police wanted to move him, but the mayor prohibited even discretionary enforcement, sent out an email to all the captains and LAPD higher ups. So we were basically stuck with this guy on a street, which totally drained police resources, because it used to be they'd come out and they didn't arrest people. They'd say, hey, look, oh, my God, you have an expired registration for five years. Poor homeless person living in a van. Like, we could tell you. But you're making a lot of noise bothering these neighbors, and we don't want to come out here all the time. So if you would just, like, skeedaddle on, push your man down, we'll help you if you need it. Two streets down so you're not bothering these residents, we won't ticket you. So this was humane, kept everybody, you know, kept everything working. Um, and when the mayor removed that, this meant the police would just come. We had, the like, cops come here maybe 20 times. It was total waste, and they were all great and tried to help us, but they couldn't because they couldn't enforce it. So that's basically the story of what happened, and it comes out of failed homeless policy by our mayor. Now, as
3: you point out, Los Angeles is— progressive. I mean, I mean, Eric Garcetti, yeah. Eric Garcetti rivals anyone in San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, dare I say Minneapolis uh, for yeah. pu- for pure progressive creds. So where is this explosion of the homeless coming from in a place that has dedicated so much time and effort and frankly, you're taxpayers' money and ours, uh, to, to resolving this problem. Why, why the explosion in, in, a, in a place that seems to be designed around resolving it by their own admission?
5: Well, it's ideology over data, if I have to sum it up. Now, I'm just a nerdy girl. I put brain on this, as I say, like for a few weeks and looked at this policy that chris Rufo, who's a scholar in this area came up with and then another guy who's my neighbor an idea of his and then my own idea put these ideas together and people who are policy people who deal with homeless stuff have said this is actually a really solid solution so what garcetti did there's this idea this progressive idea of home of housing first you know that you just give people a roof and everything's fine but Rufo points out 80%, so, no, I'll So give you the, the good figure first. So 20% of homeless people are like my friend. Now he has some issues, cognitive issues, but... These are people, the 20% are people who are down on their luck. They lost their job. They had some medical bills. They're living in their car. But if you give them a roof and some social services and a suit to wear to an interview, they will get back on their feet. So they're the helpable 20%. The other 80 or so percent are people with serious addiction and or mental health problems. They are living in the streets in their own feces. They're homicidal, in some cases, danger to, you know, the, the homeless people who are weaker And so those people can't just be helped with a roof. And often the people in Skid Row here, which is just a terrible place, it's like Calcutta in in L.A., it's so horrible. Many of them have housing, and they come out to be where the action and the drugs are during the day. So this housing first policy, um, by the way, it's led to, I think it's, um, I'm trying to remember how many have been built. So these, they built $690,000 Six hundred and ninety thousand dollar per person oh seventy two apartments i'm looking at my my figures here yeah this is in two thousand and sixteen we we dumb oh sorry we dumb voters i didn't say that <laughs> approved um, one point two billion in new spending yep. to fund homeless housing yep so three years later seventy two apartments built. a piece. And most of that doesn't go to the apartment. It goes to, like, consultants and fees and stuff like that.
3: It's a transfer of wealth from one part of the political class, from the taxpayers to part of the political class, same as here in the Twin Cities. I've, I've had my own story. I worked on a Habitat project. We did the math. It was like that Habitat for Humanity project cost twice as much as a market uh, housing unit, but there's a layer of bureaucrats getting getting their uh, their taste out of the deal. So everyone said, i was sorry, Ed, be go right ahead."
5: <laughs> well, uh, no, no. I mean, this is it's so so insane, and so uh, a more effective solution actually. Is um, well, Rufo calls for treatment first. Right. This prioritizes addiction recovery and personal transformation to re- rehabilitate the person, and then secure permanent housing. So um, then, there's also um, with the treatment first. So then, I would call what there should be a, is a shelter first policy, not housing first, but shelter first. Right. So we're not going to give you a shiny new condo for you to you know get high in. But we will say we're going to bring back the law, well, this is my policy, against living on public property, streets, sidewalks, plazas. You know And so the law would mandate, the law under Amy, would mandate that people cannot loiter and dwell on public po- property. And so they have to get legal shelter for themselves through a friend, a church, social services, or they go to a shelter provided by the city. And that's where my neighbor Jim Morez's idea comes in. He had this idea, let's use FEMA tents. There's 350 acres near LAX. Put giant tents up. You can put them up fast like they do for the Olympics and have people, you have to go there. You know, if you're staying on the street and there'll be patrols and social services there to help you. And then, you know, when you show you're not, you know, addicted and, you know, having all these problems, then we can put you in the line to get, you know, some kind of small housing.
3: Yeah. And, and and we'll we'll come back to that, but I, I, Having you on here today, for, start, for starters, because if you're not reading Quillette and especially uh, your article, L.A.'s Failed Homeless Policies, Turn My Home Into a Prison, you need to because this is what is coming to the Twin Cities. And I'm not saying that, well, not purely hyperbolically, or at least the hyperbole is, is appropriate in this case, you know, Amy Alcon. Kind of I bring it up because in the immediate aftermath of the riots— uh, here in in Minneapolis and Saint Paul, where I live, actually, uh, a homeless encampment started in what's called Powderhorn Park, which is sort of the Venice of Minneapolis. It's where the it's mm-hmm. it's it's where the counterculture lives, the boho. It's a very boho neighborhood. Uh, uh-huh. I used I used to live there when I first moved to the Twin Cities and was trying to become a, a punk rocker. Anyway. And this camp started up, and, and lo and behold, go figure. I mean, completely unexpectedly, the crime rate spiked through the roof. Property crimes, sexual assaults, assaults of all kinds, uh, drug trafficking, every which kind of crime uh, grew up around this tenth city that grew up in this, in this urban park. And finally, the city of Minneapolis started to realize it was affecting its polling. The camp was dispersed, and now it's metastasized to every piece of public land you can find in the Twin Cities. And when you respond to it, when you say, maybe this is not optimal, the response is, well, that's your privilege talking. And oh I imagine in your quest to get to the bottom of this issue, you've gotten some response from people who are stakeholders to the current problem, Alcott. what, what Are you getting pushback from fellow Angelenos on, on, on your approach to this issue?
5: You know what? I've only gotten really positive responses, and I'm surprised oh. my editor, he wanted me to put in something like, oh, I know I sound like a Karen, and I say, no, I will own, totally own this, and that's why I put in, you know, I don't like to sing my praises about, I just help this guy, because that's what you do, I saw that he just need a little help to be on his feet. Yeah. I volunteer as a mediator in the L.A. City Attorney's Office, and I do this to provide what's called access to justice to what's called poor and underserved populations. Yep. So I'm all about – you can't say I'm not, you know, putting boots on the ground and doing something about this. So I think that may be helped because I think I mentioned that too in the piece. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. the point is – you cannot say you're being compassionate by leaving people on the street in their own feces. They're a rat. The, it looks like Skid Row by the Sea here it in does.
3: It does. I've it's seen some terrible. of the photos, and it is. And by, by the way, you, you have to come out with that because there is this, uh, this idea out there in society that you're either with us or against us. If you're not 100% on board, you're 100% against. And you have to establish the fact that there are nuances and that people have different approaches to things and, and, and nuance to their approach. Anyway. Oh, I'm getting riled up here. We're here with Amy Alcott for the next segment, 651 289 4488 I want to talk about Amy's response and what it means for society at large, especially Minneapolis. Go nowhere. We'll be right back.
5: In the middle of that
4: was where we
0: Cool voiceover, zany sound effect. Uh, We were going to write a flashy promo about streaming us at Radio.com, but considering how easy it is to do, we'll keep it simple too. Listen to The Patriot on the free Radio.com app.
6: This is Dennis Prager. This radio station has been telling you for months that November's election could vastly change our country's future. If you believe in liberty supported by First Amendment rights, your values are on the line. Make sure you are registered to vote and prepared, whether at your polling place or by absentee. This election is simply too important. We are at a crossroads. We all need to vote and keep listening to this station for what this election means.
4: I'm Nick Anderson, General
0: Manager of AM1280 The Patriot, and for years this great station has been fighting to keep the Twin Cities right. As we head into 2020, I would ask that you help us continue the fight by supporting our local sponsors who live, work and play right here in the Twin
6: Cities. Now here's a word from our friend Dennis Prager. I, I appeal to you to fight. I fully recognize not everyone has a fighting nature, but everyone can help fighters. What's wrong is not to do either. And helping fighters is as good and noble as fighting. This station is a fighter. So there's a very simple way for you to help this station. And that is just patronize their sponsors. Those sponsors, they are making us possible. No sponsors, we're talking to ourselves. By supporting the local businesses you hear on this station, you help support us as we continue
0: to keep the Twin Cities right. AM-1280, The Patriot, and iHeartRadio. They go together like freedom and the Second Amendment. Listen at iHeart.com or with the free iHeartRadio mobile app.
3: AM-1280, The Patriot, the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Hey, don't forget, Americans for Prosperity Radio, Jason Flores coming up at 4 o'clock today right after... Kim Crockett's uh, broadcast. <laughs> so much to show up for. You may need to just never leave your radio 24-7, 289 If you have questions or comments for Amy Alcon, whose piece in Quillette entitled, uh, LA's Failed Homeless Policies Turned My Home Into a Prison. Uh, Amy, for starters... Y- Please tell me you have another book coming up soon here because uh, those are your your interviews regarding your book tours are some of my favorite, uh, favorite moments on the show. You got something in the uh, in the queue coming up
6: here?
5: Yeah. 2022. um, The sad thing is I may end up turning in late because you won't believe this. The Mayor Garcetti, who made my neighborhood unsafe while he has a security detail outside his house. He lifted the laws where that say restaurants can't just pour smoke into a neighborhood. And so the restaurant, they're in their parking lot. They have a barbecue out there. And now I love barbecue food. Oh, yeah. And if a neighbor barbecues, you know, like you just like deal. It's annoying. But that's part of living in an urban area that sometimes people do annoying things. But they are pumping smoke into my house from 5 to 9 Wednesday through, through Sunday. And I'm really sick. Uh, you know, I would never not come on your show. But I have two air purifiers going. And I thought I was going to throw <laughs> up this morning. I mean, they're taking my breathing. So Democrats, progressives... Clean Air Act, like in California, they faint if you smoke a cigarette, like one step too close to a building. And there's a site. You can actually, like, call out pretty much the Clean Air Gestapo for one cigarette. But these people are, like, pouring smoke at night into my house where my oh. lungs are raw. And I thought actually I needed to go to the hospital the other night. But then I realized, like, they ruined Obamacare, ruined my health care, so I can't afford this. Oh. I need to stay home and die. Oh, um, no. I mean, this is what we're dealing with. Of like and people are like, didn't you just get rid of this like felon and this? And I thought like I'm going to sound like such a complainer, you know. And it just is like, but I have a right to breathe clean air. And my Democratic progressive mayor, has, who drives a Prius, he's like the first person in California to get a Prius. I mean, <laughs> he's taken that from me.
3: Yeah, and it's coming from a place that has made cleaning its air successfully, uh, by the way, I mean, if you remember back when both of us were in elementary school, Amy Alcott, I mean, I mean the, the, the pollution crisis in Southern California was a genuine crisis. The sky would be orange at noon over Los Angeles. That's a, a bit of a thing of the past normally. And yet here we are because of well, wh- whatever crisis that Mayor Garcetti's faces suddenly Smog is okay again, but and this ties into kind of the big theme that I want to I wanted to touch on here because, again, whatever happens on the West Coast is eventually on its way to Minneapolis, uh, to a lesser extent St. Paul. But I mean, they're all trying to one eat up each other in terms of progressiveness, and and as I mentioned before the break, for people who who criticized the actions of the various social uh, justice warriors who established the homeless camp in Powderhorn Park and and now the ones that have been popping up all over the Twin Cities. When you notice that that this is a problem and and perhaps that these things bring even more urban blight uh, to neighborhoods that have already had plenty over the last four months, that it it leads to a breakdown in public order, to to which the response from many is, I'm gratified to hear it's not, you haven't gotten as much of this, but I certainly have, the expectation of public order is a privilege. It's a sign of your privilege that you would even ask for it. Yeah. To which I respond, well, yeah, I, ta- I paid taxes in my neighborhood for 25 years now. Uh, what you call privilege, you might also call payment for services rendered and yeah. <laughs> expectation of delivery for, for that amount of my labor that goes into floating. This idiot government, Amy Alcon. And something you wrote, by the way, I, I, by the way, I, I have to imagine that some of your neighbors are getting a little... At the ongoing imposition uh, up and down uh, the, uh, the infringement on order up and down your street. What are you what are you hearing from the neighborhood, Amy?
5: Oh, we're all incensed. I'm just the one with the biggest mouth who goes on radio shows and writes articles. But we all cooperated in this. I have a neighbor down the street, such a good man. He's, his father's a, an NFL football player, and he came out when the when the felon was here to say he saw him fuming me, and he's like, man, show some respect, and the guy nearly punched him out. Oh. And so that's really, I, I videotaped it because wow. I wanted to see that he was protected. Um, not that I could go out because I'm a weenie. <laughs> I don't have any physical you know, prowess. Um, but I have a soap opera actress next door with a baby, and she came out like with her hands up, like, really with the smoke and the, you know, her baby would just be awakened all day by the oh. motorcycle noise because the guy felt like abusing us. Oh, and let me tell you, I wrote in my piece at some point that I woke up and it was, and I sat down at my computer and I realized it's feces o'clock because when you have 10 <laughs> No, there are no bathrooms. No. We had human feces on my sidewalk, and, like, that really smells more than dog poo. Yeah. Because people sometimes don't pick up, you know. Um, And I had to hose down the sidewalk, and the felon got mad that I, how dare I wake him at 6 in the morning when I need to write. And so he started pounding on my gate and threatening me and saying horrible things that I can't say in the radio or you'll lose your license. Well done. You know, and so, oh, get this. So I called the police. I call 911. I'm terrified. They run in my house. I'm all, like, upset. And so we call 911 with some infrequency in my neighborhood because we're all boring. Everyone's here is like they write a writer. They're working on their computer. We're not violent. But you'll see, like, someone, a homeless woman at 1 in the morning was getting beaten up in the city parking lot. So I was like, oh, my God. Like, stop. I'm calling the police on you. Uh And I called 911. They come fast. They come in, like, a couple minutes. Wow. You know, and so I called 911 an hour and a half. Yeah. I I was like, and at that point, now, I am a person, I believe in the Constitution, all the amendments, but I am a boob when I'm scared. I am not a person who should own a gun. But at that point, that day at about noon, I thought, like, God, I need to get a gun. and Because... The police aren't going to protect me. I always thought I'm one of those people. Gun, people with guns think, think I'm an idiot because they think police aren't going to protect you. But I just I'm like, well, I, I'll probably like shoot myself even if I train on it, yeah. you know, because I get so scared. And, and the Democrats, the gun control people led me to that by taking away the police, their ability to enforce laws, just to move that guy on, not even to arrest him.
3: Yeah, and and that that actually segued perfectly to my next point, Amy, because this is one of those issues that it's, it's a small issue, obviously hugely important to you in your neighborhood. It's becoming the same in mine, but uh, when order breaks down, or when order is considered a, a commodity for the privileged, which is exactly how it is phrased by well none other than, than representatives on Minneapolis's city council, uh, you, you when. when People seek out order. And as you're, if you're a libertarian, you know full well, sometimes when they seek out order, they go way too far and, and they bring authority on them, you know, go full-bore authoritarian. But they will seek out order themselves. And and it's right in the first paragraph of your excellent piece in Quillette by the which I, I've linked it, Shot in the Dark, doesn't Fell. I never wanted a gun. In fact, I never want, I wanted to never own one until about noon on Thursday, uh, August 20th. And, and you, you basically spelled it out right there. The breakdown in public order has led you. Probably one of the least gunny people I ever talk with here on a conservative talk station <laughs> Right. to think about it. And I have to assume some of your neighbors are probably thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to start break out Red Dawn and pick up some pointers here. I mean, <gasps> people, want to, people want order. And the challenge, of course, is that that order isn't worse than the disorder you're fleeing. But on the other hand, there is that urge to seek that. Amy Alcada, the fact that you came out and said, you're ready to cross that Rubicon, should tell us something. <laughs>
5: Well, they were horrified on Venice Walk Street's next door, and someone even, they got me banned because they were so upset that I said I wanted to own a gun. Yes. Um, I, it was so funny, and they banned, they couldn't ban me. Like, they can't ban you on content lines, so they banned me as not using her real name oh my god i'm a public figure i run in the local paper there's there's my name like (laughs) how is that plausible you know it was so so crazy because they were very freaked out by that and so i ended up sending um an email jenny from the glock which i love doing jenny from the glock to my libertarian (laughs) lady friends who have guns you know and i talked to the cops and basically what they determined is that i shouldn't own like a grown-up adult gun like um a, a Booger or a Glock or whatever my friends have. They all have a bunch of guns, these ladies, right. um, that um, I should get like a Little House in the Prairie type shotgun, oh, that yeah. is buckshot. So it gives me the best chance as a scared boob in crisis, you know, if there's a home invasion that I might, might hit someone other than myself. Amy, you've come
3: to the right show, but we are sadly out of time. Nonetheless, I'm glad we had a chance to talk uh, because if things don't change drastically in the Twin Cities, this is Is What is coming to the parts of the Twin Cities Where it isn't already anyway Amy, best of luck And I'll mark the calendar for two years from now Pollution situation willing To talk about your next book Amy, thank you very much for coming on the show with us today I've posted uh, the link to your article At shotinthedark.info It's a must read, it's a warning It's something you all need to pay attention to John Augustine up next With the latest legislative evaluation assembly report On the Northern Alliance Radio Network AM 1280, The Patriot
2: Land of 10,000 lakes has an ice ring to it, but actually Minnesota has more than 11,800 lakes. But who's counting?
1: Well, there's Ann Lake, Balsam Lake, Cass Lake, Detroit Lake, Eagle Lake, Fox Lake, Gull Lake, Hidden Lake, Adam Lake, John Lake, Craze
2: Lake, Lean Lake. But if water isn't your thing, Minnesota is also home to amazing hiking, biking, and more. Find your true north. Visit ExploreMinnesota.com. Or (laughs) Lake, Rainy Lake, Silver Lake, Toad Lake, U.S. Lock and Dam Pool, 5A,
1: Moss Lake.
2: Whether you love it or hate it, winter is upon us. Start preparing before it's too late. Bundle up and save some cash. This fall is the perfect time for standard heating and air conditioning's Bundle Up for Savings Sale, where you can save at least $1,000 on a new high-efficiency furnace, giving you and your family toasty comfort all season long. In addition to saving $1,000 or more on your new high-efficiency furnace, they're offering payment options for 0% financing. You can take comfort in knowing that Standard Heating has been serving Twin Cities homeowners since 1930 and that their nate certified technicians will get the job done right and right away. So don't wait for winter. Start bundling up and take advantage of this sale. This offer ends October 31st. Learn how you can save $1,000 or more on your new furnace at standardheating.com/patriot. That's standardheating.com/patriot. Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. The comfort you deserve since 1930.
5: At twincitiestuitions.com, we recognize that this school year was a little different for you, with families learning how to work and learn from home together. We also recognize that this won't last forever. As you look ahead to the fall and a new chapter in your child's education, TwinCitiesTuitions.com will proudly be here to help with 50% off your students' first year at a brand-new school. To see a full list of our partnering schools or for more information, visit TwinCitiesTuitions.com. AM
3: 1280, the Patriot. Northern Alliance Radio Network, 651-289-4488. The number to call should you care to join us. The Freedom Fan Club is the gateway to all that is good in life. Am I being hyperbolic? Yeah, of course I am. I get to do that. I'm the host. My show, I get to I get to wax hyperbolic. Yes. Not that far off. Check out the Freedom Fan Club, am1280thepatriot.com, where you can also... Stream the show. Stream all the shows. Get to the podcast and find all the cool new Freedom Fan Club specials. It's all at am1280thepatriot.com. Well, it's uh, up there with uh, football playoffs. Oh, wait, we don't have those. It's up there with Halloween. Oh, no, we don't have Halloween trick-or-treating. It's up there with fall part. Well, we don't have a lot of fall parties, although we did get one in last week. Okay, it's one of the very few autumn traditions that hasn't been completely... Well, okay, the Twins losing... In the playoffs in the first round, and the Legislative Evaluation Assembly uh, annual report card on the Minnesota State Legislature. And with us to discuss, well, at least one of those two, uh, for the, I don't know, fifth, sixth year in a row, I'm joined by John Augustine from the Legislative Evaluation Assembly. John,
1: welcome back to the broadcast. Good afternoon. Always a pleasure, Mitch.
3: Always a pleasure as well. It was great to see you, by the way, last week at the St. Rose of Lima uh, uh, Fall Festival, uh, joining Elephant in the Room, as you are wont to do occasionally, popping up on stage, doing a song or two. It's always great to, uh, to have you up there as well. But let's talk a little business here. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to uh, fun time in a moment here. But uh, it's, it's that time of year again. The Legislative Evaluation Assembly report is out. And what does it have to say about
1: our legislature, John Augustine? Well, the good news is that we had some legislators score higher than anyone did last year. In fact, the four honorees for this year, uh, representatives Cal Barr, Steve Draskowski, Eric Lucero, and Jeremy, Jeremy Munson, all scored over 90%, which is no easy accomplishment yeah. on our points. And so it's that's... And the overall, the legislature scored higher than it did last year as well, although still much to be desired there, still well below 50% overall. But Yeah. But uh, so we saw that as good news, um, bad news, of course. Uh, there's still a lot of decisions being made early on with little or no transparency when it came to this uh, the, the central issue of this year, COVID, that got us to where we are as far as this never-ending state of emergency goes. Uh, there may still be even more spending authorized before the general election in terms of still talking about a possible bonding bill because there's going to be at least one more special session yet.
3: And by the way, does the House GOP holding the line on the bonding bill play into the report card at all? I mean, is the fact that Kurt Dowd has managed to use the the only lever he really has against the governor's emergency powers,
1: Is that uh, has that come up yet? It has not it, okay. because it's not something that we can score we're right. going only score votes on the floor makes sense okay so uh and he's they've kind of signaled that they're no longer going to completely obstruct that anyway okay. but uh we did on the senate side score the uh their first uh, vote on confirmation of an appointee uh where they rejected the uh labor and industry commissioner uh that was you know belatedly taking up their uh Advice and consent uh, responsibility there in the third special session after a lot of damage had already been done. Uh, the biggest, I think the biggest targets when it came to people in G- Walls's cabinet, uh, uh, man- management and budget, Myron Franz, who has got to choose his own terms for leaving, is now going to be holding a financial position with U of M, working his wonders there. Oh, boy. And, of course, uh, the uh, the health uh, uh commissioner Jan Malcolm and all the uh, collateral damage she's inflicted on the state uh they've escaped unscathed so far but uh but uh, there's anyway we did find uh a, a number of votes to score 16 I believe in the Senate and 17 in the House uh that uh you can uh, see at our annual report which is at lea-mn.org on the reports page as well as uh, previous reports, if you're looking for research uh, as, as it comes to trying to be an informed voter. That's what we're about, educating and informing. We don't uh, endorse candidates or give money to candidates. We just recognize those who happen to score best in each uh, year's report, although we mm-hmm. haven't figured out how we're going to do that this year yet because <laughs> we usually have an annual banquet, which would be not nice to have where you're where, 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 have to think about that uh, now that we've got the report on how we're going to do it.
3: Please don't do a Zoom meeting. Please don't do a Zoom meeting. Please. I, w-
1: I will tell you that uh, we did that for the report to put the report together this year. That everything was done via Zoom meetings and editing sessions. Put the uh, put the drafts up on the cloud, and everybody <laughs> got together. It was. It kept us on a regular schedule, but it's pretty hard to uh, bring new people into the process. Uh, you know, it's like my son's in distance learning and. If he doesn't have that, it's not the same as hands-on instruction at school, so it's hard to bring new people in. But uh, anyway, we got the report done, and uh, so uh, we can uh, get, try to get the word out.
3: So uh, the the big issue, the the, the don- elephant, or should I say, the donkey in the room, uh, is the legislative uh, legislative background behind uh, the response to COVID. So that that how big of a role did that play in terms of the number of votes and and the uh, and the, the the way the 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 scorecard came out this year?
1: Well, we have uh, let's see, <laughs> at least I believe four, uh, yeah, maybe five bills. that are scored that are related to COVID. Uh, we it was really the cent the, the handling of COVID was really a central issue. In the legislature this year wasn't a budget year, so there wasn't anything they te- technically had to do. Right. So uh, that's uh, that, and you know when when the state of emergency first went into effect, the just like everything else, the legislature shut down right for ten days. And and in the beginning, before they actually, were, before you could actually view their meetings via Zoom, or they had a structure put in place, they were meeting uh, not even in bipartisan groups because they didn't want to violate the open meeting law, but they were meeting behind the scenes, uh, the leaders and, you know, cabinet people and whoever else they happened to invite as far as how they were going to do everything. And those decisions from the earliest stages have in many ways shaped how we're, where we're at today in terms of uh, how the emergency is, they put in a structure that basically is perpetuating the emergency how so i mean there they're basically i mean the the most
3: obvious sign is there is no way to curb the governor's emergency powers, which is i think I think the laws regarding that were written at a time when people I don't, trusted the integrity of government
1: yeah, the laws were written quite some time ago and not and not very well was we, as we found out uh, yeah. but uh but when when obvious problems come up, we don't really have a very sympathetic uh court system to be able to uh to challenge those overreaches of power in this state. We're seeing some of that in some other states, but it's been not having very much success so far here yet in Minnesota. But uh, anyway, there's uh, they put in a – of course, we're supposed to flatten the curve, right? And so right. and at first it was like 10 days or so for bars and restaurants to be shut down and then stay at home for a couple months and then still all kinds of regulations and restrictions on – how businesses may operate and even other 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 entities such as churches and so forth and and uh and then the the spending that they put in place they it was all it was almost all new spending out of the general fund, almost all of it right, even though we have a gigantic uh, budget reserve that rainy day fund it its rained a lot this year in terms of economic emergency, I would say but it's basically been untouched, and I can document that a little more, but yeah, the point is that uh the appropriations, even though the originally was for the emergency was for ten days, and then a month is ratified by the executive council and month cycles, and then the legislature only gets to veto, which is backwards. Uh, you know, the you've got people. Uh, the major issue this year, obviously, is public health policy, and you've got people like uh, Senator Scott Jensen and you know all kinds of other duly elected uh, uh, senators and representatives in their constituencies. And they have almost no input into public health policy this year. It, it, the, the caucus leaders and the finance committee chairs, if they all happen or most of them happen to agree, they can maybe veto a really bad idea. But all the policy for this is being made from the executive branch, and that's 100 percent backwards constitutionally. Right, The legislature is supposed to make policy and the executive is supposed to carry it out. And so, but they had put in that structure with the, le- this, that, what I'm talking about here is the Legislative COVID 19 Response Commission, which was created by one of these bills. But it doesn't let all the 201 legislators have a say. It's just a handful. And even then, they don't get to set the policy. They can maybe veto things if they all agree it's a bad idea. And so the governor pretty much and his administration pretty much goes on unscathed. And the appropriations were set up to be able to be dispersed and accounted for at least through the end of this year, if not beyond, even though the original length of the emergency when the bill was passed was maybe a month. So the, the, the funding structure is in place for the emergency to go on. The the unchallenged powers in place for the emergency to go on. So guess what? They, they, they like the power. The emergency is going on. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's really no way
3: around it. I mean, the, the only bright spot I've seen, and this is purely from my own political niche, is that in 2015, the gun owners' uh, organization's basically uh, passed with well, a bipartisan majority, actually got Governor Dayton to sign a a rule saying that uh, the governor could, the governor and the government, the executive branch, could not use emergency powers to confiscate firearms. Mm-hmm. People, right. I remember the media say, that's a right. little paranoid, isn't it? There's no such thing as paranoia well, when you're when you, dealing with this government. you've got
1: some of the intrusive uh, health department proposals in terms of uh, oh, yeah. privacy and so forth the yeah, others which is a lesson for
3: people who support any civil liberty first second fourth mm-hmm. uh, ninth tenth any of the rights that are out there uh, we, we've seen uh, like your right to run a business is is and and preserve your property is pretty much subject to the whim of governor clink and I'm sorry, Waltz, Governor Waltz. Uh, We're talking with John Augustine from the Legislative Evaluation Assembly. Uh, LEA-MN.org is the website. I've posted the link at shotinthedark.info. Let's take a quick break, be back for one more segment, and we'll talk uh, some more about some of the legal aspects here, as well as uh, more about the rainy day fund issue. And your questions and comments when we come back. Northern Alliance Radio Network, AM 1280, The Patriot.
0: AM-1280 The Patriot. Limitless access to intelligent talk. Stream AM-1280 The Patriot with our free app, your smart speaker, or with iHeart. TuneIn and Radio.com. We live in the Twin Cities, but serve worldwide. Sure is noisy out there. Hard to separate the news that matters compared to the racket these days. But it is essential to know the truth when you're building retirement plans and investment strategies. Tune in to this week's Money Matters with Alan Mike to learn how to cut through the clutter and stay focused on things that matter. And more importantly, how to focus on the things that are actually in your control. Money Matters with Alan Mike, noon Saturday on AM 1280 The Patriot. Or you can call them now at 855 231 6010. Where are we headed?
2: Globalism? A new world order? A singular government power?
0: If we yield over and decide that America is not unique, it's not special, it's not extraordinary, we no longer are the United States of America. We're just a piece of a bigger government. And what about prophecy? Is the United States of America part of God's great plan for the world? Now, a new documentary, Trump,
2: 2024 the world after trump takes a look at what the world could look like in 2024 with or without president trump trump 2024 features interviews with franklin graham mike huckabee dennis Prager, and
0: yours truly eric metaxas the messiah will not arrive on air force one watch trump 2024 the world after trump on salemnow.com that's salemnow.com trump 2024 go to salemnow.com to watch trump 2024 salemnow.com to watch trump 2024 on demand
7: The crews were very professional and the workmanship was outstanding. We didn't have any surprises along the way or on our final bill. JTR was very knowledgeable and made it very comfortable from start to finish. Our house looks great. We received multiple compliments from friends and family. I was 100% satisfied with the work from JTR.
5: Go to JTRRoofingInc.com to set up your no-obligation consultation. That's JTRRoofingInc.com.
6: Salem Surround partners with your business to deliver custom digital marketing solutions. Surround your target audience wherever they engage, search, surf, socialize, or review to keep your business top of mind. Learn more at Minneapolis.SalemSurround.com. AM
0: 1280, The
3: Patriot. Northern Alliance Radio Network. Wake up, Minnesota. No, that's not me. That's the name of the show uh, coming up next: Minnesota Wake Up with Kim Crockett and Bill Mormon. Both fresh from the front lines of fighting for freedom, according to the Constitution, for your rights. With the inside story on voter fraud, court fights, what you can do to make your vote count. Not just a bunch of lawyers yapping away. Each week, they'll be featuring local, national heroes fighting for election integrity, and they come up right after the Nard. That's right. We are the lead-in. They are the headliner today. So join them right here on AM a the Patriot, each and every week, 3 to 4. Do it now. Okay, do it in 16 minutes. Anyway, 651-289-4488, uh, the number to call if you have questions or comments for John Augustine of the Legislative Evaluation Assembly, and about their annual report card, which, true to form, is ready for election time. So... Uh, one of the things we have to note is, of course, the the, uh, the four uh, House honorees, uh, Cal Barr, Steve Draskowski, Eric Lucero, and uh, Jeremy Munson, of course, all scoring up in the 90s. Good scores here. But, of course, there is a direct relation to the party out of power being able to vote on pure principle. I mean, you even have Democrats scoring well when they're in the minority. Uh, the Senate,
1: how how well did the GOP do in the Senate this time around, uh, John Augustine? Uh, not, not too well. Uh, Shocked uh, face it's, it's, is it's, being donned. A little better than last year, not too well there 's still way too many sixty five to two or sixty seven to zero votes for bad bills, especially on non budgetary matters and this is i mean when you can argue that you know they have to participate in the governing negotiations when you're when you 're putting together the biennial budget but there's plenty of things that passed this year that uh the, the rush to through up. Uh, Police reform bill, the prescription drug price transparency act, which has all kinds of micromanagement. Uh, there's, I, I I can go on, but uh, yeah. the tobacco, the, the new uh, statewide tobacco products age raised to 21, and the and the uh, oh. extra regulations above and beyond the federal regulations on that and so forth, and but there's, you know, the, it's just and there's some there were some good things that passed i mean they part of it, oftentimes you see that they have to uh clean up uh make fix things that they passed that caused problems a year or two or earlier right. so they had cosmetology license exemptions bill passed cuz right. a few years back they put eyelash technicians in, into the cosmetology uh licensing system and and that just created a regulatory nightmare for something that doesn't really have a whole lot of health risk in it that, doesn't yeah. need that much regulation. So 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 there's only took,
3: so much malpractice you can do on uh, eyelashes.
1: So they took care of that on a bipartisan regulation. They took care of, well, they didn't take care of it, but they at least made a few first steps toward uh, uh, the introducing the concept of search warrant protection when it comes to drone and electronic tracking, which previously there wasn't any state law re- regarding that. Right. So we needed something. So there's a first step on that. Just a long way to go on that yet. But yeah. uh, anyway. They
3: completely dropped the ball, by the way, on performing the draconian opioid bill which is one that i would have loved to have seen people scoring on because this is it's just absolutely unconscionable that they left that uh, monstrosity it it, it
1: is in our it is in our 2020 legislative report if you want to take a look
3: at it i'm gonna have to go through there and hold some people accountable not my legislator Mm -hmm. who of course is completely worthless on the issue i mean it's not like she was Mm -hmm. eating beef jerky while i talked with her on the phone so there you have it
1: but (laughs) And once again, we came to the first state to ban another widely used product. In this case, it was this uh, chemical uh, called trichloroethylene that's used uh, industrially for uh, a lot of times for cleaning uh, uh, grease off of uh, metal parts. And oh, so yeah. forth. Because there was one bad actor. So that creates a lot of a sensational news coverage. And so not oh, yeah. only crack down on the bad actor, we just got to ban everything. Yeah. That's the Minnesota approach. And, and of course, we, we operate in a vacuum. There's no other... Uh, economy of the other states that would impact that one. bit. Right.
3: So, uh, before we get ready to go on, we we talked about some of the legalities regarding the Rainy Day Fund, which, I mean, Minnesota is in an economic Category Mm 3 hurricane right now. You could say it's a rainy day. And yet, well, what's going on with the Rainy Day Fund and the laws thereunto appertaining?
1: Well, very briefly, I'm not going to read all the words, but I'm not going to try to mess up any of the intent. But Minnesota statute 16A.152 on the budget reserve Subdivision 3 use, the use of the budget reserve is supposed to be for a a, uh, uh, reduced growth in total wages, retail sales, or or employment, those types of objective measures that reflect downturns in the state economy that will in turn impact revenue collection. It it may be governed by a full economic cycle rather than just a budget cycle used when a negative balance is projected. Sounds like all these conditions are applicable to this yeah. year's uh, suddenly imposed uh, COVID-19 pandemic emergency. And yet, when they passed all this legislation, it was all out of the general fund, almost all of it. And the as of September 30th, in Minnesota Management and Budget's budget reserve report, says at the end of the 2020 regular and special legislative sessions, Minnesota's projected budget reserve is 2.7, 3, it $2.377 billion. It's almost identical to what it was. So, so, so why do we have a rainy day fund for... Uh, these type of, of unpredictable emergencies if we're not going to use it. Instead, we just build everything up. And everybody else, everybody else uh, except for maybe the uh, big tech companies and a few other uh, big box retailers, uh, you know, they had to tighten their belts, sa- sacrifice, uh, lay people off, uh, re- deal with capacity restrictions and all kinds of other restrictions. State government has hardly laid anybody off, yeah. even though almost none of their o- offices are actually... Action- are are open compared to yeah compared to uh, to the rest of the uh rest of the uh, economy and and uh, the two year pay increases that were negotiated for state employee contracts this year two pay increase uh, that was negotiated before the pandemic the the legislature got out maneuvered on that and and we're gonna they're gonna see pay increases yeah and there's, there's just it, it just uh, we're supposed to be all in this together, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't see it. It's just words.
3: I, I, I've got a word for everyone out there. It's all just words. John Augustine from the Legislative Evaluation Assembly. Uh, it, it's all out there, folks. Uh, the website, one more time. And and by the way, how can people find out more about the LEA? How can people get involved with the LEA? It's
1: LEA-mn.org. It's just uh, $10 annual, annual uh, membership and... Uh, and uh, you can sign up online or you can mail in your your contribution. And we're all-volunteer organization, and we have an annual meeting. We still have to figure out how we're going to hold it this year, but we have an <laughs> annual meeting. And at that annual meeting, people elect a board of directors that is tasked with overseeing the content of the next report. It's all grassroots-driven organization. We've been around since 1972. This is what we do, and we encourage you, anybody who wants to to is the value in what we do to get involved.
3: I have posted the link at shotinthedark.info for anyone who didn't catch it the first time, although it's easy, lea-mn.org. It has, I've been doing the math in my head. It has literally been 10 years since we had to bolt out of the studio immediately after signing off to make way for another show here. It's 2010 when the third edition of the Northern Alliance uh, left the air with uh, Michael Broadcorp getting his job with the state and King moving to uh, to uh, to further down the dial on weekends here. So, We got to bolt out of here to make way for for the next show here, Kim Crockett and company. But, uh, John Augustine, thanks, as always, for stopping by. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, We'll be back next week. Brad Carlson up tomorrow at 1 o'clock. King Banyan, Saturday mornings from 9 to 11. Kim Crockett and Bill Mormon joining us next with Wake Up Minnesota. It's not a morning drive show, though. They're actually wanting you to wake up and smell the, well, burning coffee. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. God bless you all. God bless America.
1: This is Al Malbert. This Sunday morning on the World of Aviation, we'll visit with Dwight Peterson, who is a crop duster in the far reaches of northwestern Minnesota. Dwight has owned many aircraft over the years and has many flying experiences to share. His son is also a crop duster, and his story is one you have to hear. We'll also take your calls. Join us for the World of Aviation this Sunday morning
0: at 10.05 right after the top of the hour news here on am 1280 the patriot
3: the drama at a presidential debate isn't always on stage in 1980 president carter thought three was a crowd so he canceled one of his debates with ronald reagan and john anderson the wrangling took out the vice presidential debate as well but it might have
0: backfired on carter when he finally debated reagan a week before the election reagan is widely seen to have clinched the race i'm mitch berg Tune in this Wednesday evening at 8 as
4: more history is made. Debate coverage on The Patriot is presented by Alpha News. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain.
5: Are you making a mistake that will ruin your retirement? Here's David J. Scranton, founder of the Retirement Income
7: Store.
0: I'm David Scranton. When it came time for my mom to retire,
2: one simple mistake forced her to work years longer than she should have. And that's why I started the Retirement Income Store, to help hardworking Americans 55 and over plan for the retirement they deserve. I couldn't help my mom, but maybe I can help you
5: call the Retirement Income Store at 866-977-6434 and we'll send you our free Retirement Income Kit with five educational tools including David Scranton's Amazon best-selling book The Retirement Income Story plus you'll be invited to enjoy a no-obligation conversation with an income specialist so call 866-977-6434 that's 866-977-6434 The
0: Retirement Income Store
5: where retirees go for income online at the retirementincome store.com investment advice- advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies
0: LLC an SEC registered investment advisory firm AM12